unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And coming up on this week's show, my pleasure to welcome back WKMG News 6 Sports Director Jamie Say. She also just called the Curable on radio. What a great game that was. Jamie is standing by in the virtual green room and will join us to talk about that and more in just a few moments. But before we get to Jamie, you know, as I watched my Cowboys play the Giants this past weekend, the following question struck me. How in the hell is Mike Glennon still in the league and Blake Bortles is not? The Giants are down to using Blake, rather Mike Glennon as their quarterback. Are you kidding me? This guy has like the worst starting record of any quarterback, uh, like in modern times, for the amount of games he's played. You know, just unbelievable. You know, Blake Portals was a game away from the Super Bowl with Jacksonville. But unfortunately, it seems like he's gotten a lot of the unfair blame for them not getting there when the play calling, they went conservative, they had the Pats beaten. But then they just sat on the ball and didn't and Blake was playing a great game. So, you know, I'm not confusing Blake Bortles with, you know, Aaron Rodgers or anything like that, but he's certainly gotta be good enough to be a second string quarterback in the league over a guy like Mike Glennon. Now I think Blake came out of UCF a year early, probably needed another season, but he can't blame him, you know, he knew he was going to make money, but he went to Jacksonville, a team that has destroyed quarterbacks, you know, God help Trevor Lawrence. I hope he doesn't have the same fate. You know, Blaine Gabbert was highly thought of when he was drafted. Now, not saying Blaine Gabbert would have turned into, uh, you know, Matt Stafford or anybody like that, but we'll never know because they just threw a rookie quarterback out there with no offensive line. So, again, Blake Bortles is good enough to be a number two, a solid number two that can win you some games in the National Football League. You know, I don't talk about COVID much on this show because you deserve a break from all that. But with the latest outbreak, the NBA now having to make contingency plans to try and keep their Christmas Day schedule, which is a marquee day for the league. Uh, Now, the NBA already had a big problem this year with the holiday on a Saturday, and the NFL's late-season Saturday slate was already going to dominate eyeballs, and now they're just hoping to keep games. And by the way, the uh, news does not get better for the association next year as Christmas falls on Sunday. So they'll have to go head-to-head with the league. Good luck with that. She is the radio voice of the Cure Bowl and the sports director at WKMG News 6. Pleasure to have back out on the show. Jamie say, Jamie, how are you doing? I am doing well, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me back on your show. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's always great to have you. And of course, uh, the Curable, boy, that was some football game. (laughs) Coastal Carolina winning 47-41. I figure as a play-by-play announcer, you're probably thinking you got the perfect gift because it's back and forth the whole game. It's come down to the last play either way, and the play is a little controversial to boot, so you had everything in one package there. It was crazy. It was a crazy game. You know, I thought last year's Cure Bowl would would not be able to be topped because it was Liberty and Coastal Carolina 
two really good teams going into overtime and the game ending on a blocked field goal attempt and Liberty spoiled Coastal Carolina's bid for a perfect season. I thought that was like the ultimate. It was one of the best games of the college bowl season last year. And then we get this one between Coastal Carolina and Northern Illinois, which, to be honest with you, I didn't expect. I I mean, you know, I knew both of these teams could score points, but I honestly thought, you know, with the intricacies of Coastal Carolina's offense and the fact that Northern Illinois had never seen something, you know, like that before, they didn't have as much time to prepare. I thought Coastal might take control, but I was wrong. And it was so much fun, you know, and I realized that it was a special game just in the first quarter alone when Northern Illinois drives down, scores a touchdown, Coastal comes right back, answers, and then field goals and then touchdowns. And nobody got a got a defensive stop, really, uh, truly until the third quarter. I mean, Coastal almost pulled it off in the first half. They were they were punting. Uh, they forced Northern Illinois into a punt, and then they roughed the punter. And then, boom, Northern Illinois takes that and scores. I mean, it was a great game, uh, you know, filled with some plays that I had never seen before or you don't expect. You know, Northern Illinois pulled out some some trickery, and one, one trick play worked when uh, the quarterback – brilliantly fake this handoff to his running back and rolls around the right side on touched into the end zone. Um, nobody saw that coming. And then another trick play didn't work when the quarter quarterback of Northern Illinois, it was fourth and short on their own 34. And he, he's under center, but then starts walking to the sideline as if he's going to call a timeout. He hiked, they hike the ball to the running back and he doesn't get the first down. I mean, it was just nuts. The ending was nuts. It was, from my vantage point, it was hard to see because I was on the opposite end of the field, but I couldn't have asked for a better, more exciting game, you know, and, and I just love the cure ball. Um, it was also at Exploria stadium, which is really a really good venue for that bowl. You know, when you're not going to get a Gasparilla, Gasparilla bowl type crowd, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's coming up on Thursday, you know, it's, it's an intimate stadium and uh, it's a comfortable stadium. So I hope next year more of the central Florida community comes out and supports the cure bowl because so far, I mean, the games have been great. I mean, in the seven years of the bowl game and the last two have been phenomenal. Yeah. And of course, you know, had that game gone to overtime, you might still be there. <laughs> I, right. Because nobody was stopping each other would have gone to, you know, they would have gone to the two point conversions. You know, they've just gone for two and everybody would have gotten it. I mean, yeah. it was crazy, though. It was great. I mean, just just the drama. And I was really impressed with the fight in both teams for sure. Yeah. And Coastal's such a great story. A very young program. You know, Jamie Chadwell's a, a tremendous coach. You, you know, how long they're going to be able to hold on to him is going to be uh, uh, a tough question to answer. And then sure. their quarterback, Grayson McCall, is terrific. And he's actually going to come back for another year and not go to the draft. Yeah. I mean, and he's an amazing story. You know, like he was a two star out of out of high school, a two-star recruit out of, out of high school. He had five offers and his best one was Coastal Carolina, you know, Gardner Webb was after him and then boom, look what he does. You know, he was, he was the leader of that offense, an offense that is very difficult to run. And every single offensive player has to be on the same page because there's so many different looks they're going to run, you know, and everything has to function, um, in sync and he's the one who operates it. He's a great quarterback. And yeah, you know, he says 
you know, it's just a show of what that program is about. Another thing that's impressive about that program, why it maybe it's a little different. You know, Coastal had a terrific season last year and there were probably opportunities for maybe guys to dip into that transfer portal and say, hey, maybe I can go to a bigger a bigger program. But none of them did. Um, there were like 20 seniors on the team this year. And a lot of them were super seniors guys coming back to take advantage of that extra year that the NCAA granted them because of COVID. And most of those guys came back except one um, who went to the NFL. You know, that's how much seeing this through meant to those guys. Unfortunately, they lose a lot to graduation. Now Um, they do lose a lot of key players, but with McCall back, um, they got some of their running backs back. You know, hopefully they'll be in good pl- in good shape. And yeah, Jamie Chadwell, the head coach, is back too. And it can only help in recruiting and building that program. Yeah, no question about it. Of course, uh, you're more than just a radio play-by-play voice for the Cure Bowl. I know you're very involved with a lot of efforts there. And I know you don't do it for any notoriety, but you do it because you have the passion for it. And, uh, you know, yeah, and it's, you know, many, many families have had someone in their family affected by breast cancer, you know, mine included. Yes. And so it's terrific that you do all that. And God bless you for that as well. Oh, so. thanks, Jeff. I mean, like, really, you know, it, I, I'm a small part of it and whatever publicity I can drum up for it, I'll do. You know, that's that's what I feel like what I can use my my role as like a person on TV is talk about the cure bowl, maybe give it a little bit more publicity than it would get. But I mean, it's such a grassroots effort by, by a group of people here in Orlando, the ones that brought the bowl, you know, into existence. And then, you know, sponsors and donors have been huge and everything like that. And, um, you know, it goes and a lot of money has been pumped into research that's being done right here in Orlando at UCF. And, and that's really special too. You know, yeah. it's really special. I, I just love the Cure Bowl. It's my favorite football game of the year. It, yeah. it really is. I mean, yeah. And, so. they del- <laughs> and they deliver a great football game too. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, it's great. It's great. Yeah. No, I appreciate you talking about it because I, I mean, you know, you watch the game. I mean, it was just wild this year. It was just wild. And the teams that come and play in it, you know, they're not from the power of five. They're group of five teams who come in understanding the purpose of the bowl, and that's to raise money and awareness in the fight against cancer. But also they get the chance to finish off their season right. And, you know, they are all in, you know, on the bowl experience. It's a good bowl experience for them to, you know, um, COVID protocols were lifted this year, so they were able to stay on Universal Studios property and enjoy the theme park there. But also, you know, these teams come in with the intent to try and get a trophy, you know, because because they don't get the notoriety that a Power Five team gets. And, uh, you know, it, it's just awesome to see two teams really going after it and putting a lot of effort and will into the bowl. Yeah, that is yeah. truly special. And of course, we've got a great bowl game coming up this week. We're about, as we record this, 24 hours away from UCF in Florida in the Gasparilla Bowl. And, uh, you know, this is a, you know, obviously as a UCF fan, I'm very excited about this. You know, we finally got a two for one with Florida on the schedule that's still several years down the road. They've gotten their game and they've got a chance to make a mark. Uh, 
give your assessment on uh, what you think is going to happen Thursday. Gosh, I I can't wait for Thursday. I mean, you know, like I, I don't have a dog in the fight per se, you know, because I didn't graduate from UCF. I didn't graduate from Florida covering both teams. You know, I want both teams to do well. Um, I have a soft spot for UCF for sure. You know, being in Orlando, seeing what the program has grown into, um, you know, I, I just wonder, you know, the physicality, you know, how how will the battles on the trenches go? You know, um, will UCF be able to hold its own, you know, among the big guys? You know, that's that's my question. Um, how will Mikey Keene do in that environment? Uh you know, will he get the protection he needs? You know, how will he handle, will he play with poise? Um, it's a tough one for UCF. It, it's a tough one. I mean, this will be, I think, their second most difficult opponent <laughs> besides Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, they, plus, they have to stop a mobile quarterback in Emory Jones. And, you know, at times UCF has struggled against mobile quarterbacks like, uh, the quarterback for Louisville, you know, dominated them mm-hmm. in, in, I guess, week three. Um, Desmond Ritter, who could do it all, you know, I, I don't think Emory Jones is to Desmond Ritter's level, but Emory Jones, you know, plays with confidence. He plays with poise. So, but anything can happen. You know, who's going to come out with more juice? You know, how, what's the Gators approach? You know, what's their emotional approach? The thing that is interesting about the Gators, because, you know, they had a, they had a season that obviously didn't live up to their standard, but it sounds to me like a lot of the guys have stuck with it. You know, guys who are planning to play, you know, or go for the next level, go for the NFL. But some of these guys are playing the game. Kyrie Elam, you know, one of their best defensive players, you know, the cornerback, Damian Pierce is all in. Um, Malik Davis is there. Bretton Cox Jr. is playing. So they still have some really, really good players. You know, how organized will they be? I mean, it's been, I'm sure it's been kind of disruptive up there in Gaysville with a new coaching staff coming in and, and everything like that. But you know, when you when your classes are done and all you have to do is focus on football, you know, will the Gators be organized enough, you know, to put their best foot forward against UCF? But if UCF comes out swinging and, you know, builds a lead, you know, will will the Gators want to keep playing? So I'm not really sure. I mean, like if if my life depended on it, I'm going to pick the Florida Gators to win simply because of the size difference um, on on the lines. Really, I mean, just just the size difference on the lines, but anything can happen. Um, Mikey Keene has to play an incredible game. And, um, you know, I, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing Isaiah Bowser back too for UCF, yeah. too, because he could be a game changer. Yes. You know, because he's a guy who, you know, has played in the power of five, who looks like a power of five running back, um, you know, and, and it's like. You know, it's like thunder and lightning with Isaiah Bowser and Johnny Richardson. And, you know, um, if if Mark Anthony Richards is healthy, too, which I think he is, you know, if he's playing, which I believe he is, you know, that could be an interesting, interesting, too. Yeah. You know, and I always find it interesting, too, because uh, uh, fans of SEC schools and the type of bowl games, you know, uh, you know, if they don't win, they kind of go, well, we were motivated, but if they do yeah. win. The SEC is the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> so Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like, and it, you know, and it's just like, I mean, I, I got to be honest, like I want UCF to win, 
um, just because I know how much a win would mean for that fan base. Hmm. For the Gators, the fan base might not admit how much it means to them, but they wanted to. They don't want to lose to UCF. No, no, not at they all. They <laughs> don't want to use, lose to UCF. And, and they know how good and how far UCF has come as a program yeah. because UCF is going to be in the power five in just a couple of years too. So yeah. how would you rate Gus's yeah. first season? Uh, you know, they, tough, they, they had so many injuries to deal with. And he yeah. himself was on the injury list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I give him, I give him a B plus, you know, I, I mean, like if, if Scott Frost's second season was a plus plus, you know, I would give Josh Heupel's first season as head coach at UCF and a, um, I would give Gus a B plus because he had to deal with so many injuries. Um, you know, I thought, I thought the most disappointing loss was the Navy loss, but I understand because you're working in a new quarterback and you're dealing with all those injuries, but you know, you went in there and it, and, it, and it's against a previously winless team. Now Navy turned out to have an okay season and, and they were a tough, tough, prideful group, but that's why I would give it a B plus. You know, I didn't, I didn't really like uh, the performance against SMU, although SMU is really good. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the one thing was, is like with all the adversity that UCF had, like it felt like he kept the team, the guys who wanted to play, guys who wanted to still be in UCF uniforms, focused and committed to finishing the season. And like, I really feel that these guys are focused and committing to putting their best effort forward on Thursday. So I would give Gus's first season a B plus okay. for sure. All right. What so, about uh, you? What do you think, Jeff? You know, I think that's a pretty fair assessment there. <laughs> I mean, you know, it would be really great to see if Dylan Gabriel would have been a quarterback all season. Yeah. I think that probably goes to an A if uh, if that happens. And you probably don't get, uh, you know, uh, curb stomped in Cincinnati and all that good stuff. So I, yeah. I, th I think I think that's a very fair grade. And again, they had a lot to deal with uh, uh, considering all the injuries and and you know whatever turmoil that uh, was going on behind the scenes with Dylan and his and, and his thing. So yeah. I think that's a fair grade. Um, of course, we can't have Jamie say on the show we're not talking about the <laughs> Buffalo Bills. Oh, thank you. <laughs> nice. So, Let's transition to the NFL. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, yeah, I I I I thought of you too because when that game against New England and it was the evil genius coming up with a plan, they only throw the ball three times. You know, it's almost like big brother going to little brother. I'm going to beat you up with my hand tied yeah. behind my back. Uh, so, so I know it had that had to be very frustrating. We got a rematch this Sunday. Is this a must win for the Bills? It, well, I don't think it's a must win because I think the Bills will make the playoffs whether they win this game or not. Um, you know, I think their schedule after that should be okay that that they will make the playoffs. I mean, the AFC is. There's so much parity in the AFC, but I, I really believe that the Bills are a very good team. I don't think it's a must win in order to make the playoffs, but in order to have confidence going into the playoffs and believing that you can get back to the AFC championship, which was the expectation this year. Yes, it's a must win. You know, you have to you have to put this team down. You have to play like you did in the second half against the Buccaneers. Um 
you know, because that that was a great performance. Now, Cole Beasley is out because he tested positive for COVID, um, the receiver. And that's going to take its toll because he's like he's not the number one guy. Stefan Diggs is, but he's the number two guy. And he's Josh Allen's go to guy when you need that third the down security conversion. blanket. Yep, he's the security blanket. So what are they going to do? With Cole Beasley out, you know, the, one of the great things recently is they've I don't want to say Gabriel Davis has come on because we've known he's had that kind of talent. He's finally getting back into games. They're finally putting him into games like I went to the Jags game, the Bills Jags game in, in Jacksonville. And there's Davis on the sideline. And I just want to yell at the coaches, but Gabriel in, we know what he can do. He had a great rookie season. Come on. You need something. You need a big target out there. Um, so anyway, um, I think the bills are capable of beating the Patriots. I think, um, you know, the Patriots were on such a great role. And I think, you know, the fact that they did have that bye week helps the bills because, you know, their momentum was disrupted against the Colts. It's it definitely was. And, um, you know, Mac Jones seemed to be getting confidence. All right. Well, then he takes his first loss in a long time. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I don't think the elements will be like they were in Buffalo with whatever 60 mile an hour wins that the Patriots used to their advantage. And the thing was, like in that game, you know, even though the Patriots won, it was really it really came down to one play, one big running play. And then the Bills offense just could not put it in the end zone. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they had two trips into the red zone, couldn't put a touchdown on the board either time. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this season hasn't gone quite like last season so far, but no. there's time to turn around. There's an extra game on the schedule too to boot. Yeah. Um, so you're feeling optimistic uh, moving towards the, the home stretch. Be optimistic if they beat the Patriots, <laughs> you know. But I'm optimistic that they'll make the playoffs. I, I do believe they'll make the playoffs. But I think in order to, they need to have something for their mojo, you know. Like they don't have, you know, they beat the Chiefs. I think it was week four, maybe when the Chiefs were struggling. And they did it in Kansas City. You know, the Chiefs are a much different team right now than they were when the Bills played them. But that's really the only game that they can that the Bills can look to and say, see, this is this is the playoff team we beat. You know, like so they need to win against a playoff team to have that kind of mojo going into the playoffs. At least that's what I think. I mean, just so they show that they can play a full four quarters of football, because I don't think they've done that since the Chiefs game. Mm-hmm. Um, or they've done it against teams that are are not as good. So I'm I'm optimistic they can make the playoffs. I want them to win this game to show <laughs> we can you know they can get back to the AFC championship. Yeah, they've got but, that capability. But they you know because they've shown flashes of it. Like I thought their second half, Josh Allen against the Buccaneers was awesome. Yeah, and of course, nothing is finer than division rivalry football in December, right? Yeah, and you know, like the thing is, it's like the Patriots. I mean, you know, Tom. I mean, what Tom Brady with the with the Patriots? I mean, before this this most recent one, like he had beaten the the Patriots have beaten the Bills. I, I guess it's like 30 something times out of the last. I'm trying to remember what the Bills went. I think the Bills and Patriots split last year, so they were one and one. Bills were one and two since Brady left. Brady was 32 and three coming in. So, you know, Brady, so the Patriots are like 
34 and four against the bills in the last 20 years. So you got to get that monkey off the bills back. Yeah, you definitely got <laughs> so. Yeah. So a split would certainly this year would certainly uh, yes. uh, help with that. <laughs> so uh, last time you were on the show, we were talking about March Madness and, uh, and you know, and we talked about, you know, your time in Syracuse. Of course, you're an alum and all that. But just, so you covered Jim Beheim, And I should yeah. have asked you <laughs> then. So I thought, well, I'm going to ask her the next time I have her back on the show. So what was it like to deal with Jim Beheim? Well, you know, in my role, I was a sports photographer, mostly like I was a video journalist, um, you know, and, and I was a one man band person and kind of the number three person in our three person sports department. So and I was also 20 something going in. Um, so I was not a seasoned journalist at the time, um, but, you know, I would go in and ask a question or two in the post game press conference. He was tough. You know, he was intimidating and he knew that, um, you know, he, he was he could be sarcastic, but he could also be very nice and generous. And nobody loves the Syracuse community more than him. Um, but like, you know, if he didn't like your question, he would let you know. But I just chalked it up to, you know, at the time um, when I covered that team, um, you know, as a professional, when I was you know, college doesn't really count, um, but I covered the team as a professional at, when I worked in a TV station there. Um, you know, by that time, it was, say, 2004, 2005, and he had been the head coach at Syracuse since the late 70s. So he's heard every single question that a journalist could ask, you know, so he's so good, at, you know, so he knows what the deal is. You know, he he's more experienced at my job than I was, you know, because of all the questions he's been asked. So it was just like, I kind of chalked it up to that, but, um, but it was intimidating, but he could also be very kind too. I remember um, I, uh, I worked for a radio station also, and I did the radio play-by-play of the Syracuse women's basketball team from 1999 to 2000. Um, the guy who was doing the men's basketball team had to go to the bowl game and cover the football game. So I filled in on the men's call and I had to talk to coach in pregame, you know, right after their pregame meal. So hours before, and I was so nervous and I'm trying to put my, the microphone into the thing and this, and I'm just fiddling it in. I'm, I'm apologizing. And I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just nervous. He's like, Oh, don't be nervous. He put me at ease, you know, so he could be kind also. Hmm. very charitable but it but you know like the guy's a legend one of the greatest college basketball coaches of all time so yeah you know, so, so that that was cool so did you ever ask a question that kind of put you in the doghouse with him or were you able to avoid no that i didn't <laughs> i didn't i no no like in you know in my time there i just wasn't you know i would ask something maybe player specific but the thing, the thing that you couldn't do was ask a question, making an assumption that you're second guessing him. So like, that's what I would avoid. And if he felt like a decision he made during the game was being questioned or second guessed, if it had that tone to it, he'd shoot you down mm. because he's the coach and he knows better. So like, I never, I, I kind of figured that pretty fast. Um, And also like, if he liked you and knew you were doing a good job and your what your intentions were 
he might not necessarily shoot you down. There were other people that he certainly did not like while I was there, though, too. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> yeah so, and I can also imagine there were probably those who would, who would enjoy poking the bear, too, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. You know, to get that reaction and maybe just to, you know, to get some sort of exchange for for the camera, you know, right. too. I mean, this was different, you know, uh, social media wasn't, wasn't really around back then. You know, I mean, when I worked there, I, I wasn't on Facebook or Twitter. I mean, this would have been, you know, I was a student there in the late nineties. And then I worked there as a professional, uh, 2004, 2005, 2006. So it was right before that kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I was just curious about that, that because I, I've never I've known anybody who's had to deal with him. So I thought that would be uh, yeah. some interesting insight there. So uh, here we are near the end of the year. Hard to believe, you know, yeah. you, you blink, you missed it. Um, what has been your favorite sports moment of 2021? Okay. Can I pick two? Sure. Okay. All right. My absolute favorite. My absolute favorite is Mackenzie Milton coming back against Notre Dame, you know, I, I mean, just if he had made a comeback at UCF, there wouldn't have been a dry eye in the bounce house, but to see him go out there after all that, it was just unbelievable. You know what, what we saw him go through. Um, so that was my favorite moment to see McKenzie going out there. And then the other moment I would say was the Super Bowl, and seeing Tampa Bay with Tom Brady, win a championship and it's just like oh my gosh you can you believe this yes we can because it's tom brady winning another one with a completely different team and it's tampa and it's at their place and you know it's too bad it's it's during covid because the celebration would have been outrageous um but but you know i was at the super bowl and so that was another one i mean like sentimental sake though like it's definitely mckenzie coming back but like for just sports results Tampa Super Bowl win. I'm not even a Buccaneers fan, but I thought that was pretty memorable. Okay, that's yeah. very that's very interesting. So, uh, yeah, um, you could probably see over my shoulder what mine was. Uh, oh, Atlanta. the Atlanta Braves! There <laughs> yeah. it is. Way to go! Nice. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Yes. It's been a long well, time. <laughs> well, it's funny. You know, another sports moment that I enjoyed very much because growing up in upstate New York, I was a Yankee fan, but I was also an Atlanta Braves fan because we got TBS. So I would watch all their games and I'd watch all the Yankee games. You know, I'd kind of switch back and forth if they were on, you know, simultaneously. But but I was a huge fan of those Braves teams in the early 90s. And my favorite baseball player was Greg Olson, the catcher. OK, so anyway, fast forward to now. Um you know, it used to be the Diamond Resorts Tournament of Champions, the LPGA event. Yes. And you know how John Smoltz would come and play in it, right? Yes. Well, you know, I and I remember rooting for John Smoltz when I was a kid. Well, his caddy is Greg Olson, the catcher. So I'm out there covering it. You know, I think it was like during the Pro-Am day. And that's when we get our interviews. So I'm out there covering it last January. And I see Smoltz and Greg Olson walking. And I'm like... I got a fangirl this. So I say, <laughs> I'm like, Hey, Greg, I'm like, you were my favorite baseball player growing up. So I meet Greg Olson, the catcher, who was my favorite baseball player. And he's like, Oh my God. He's like, he's like, it wasn't, 
it wasn't Smoltz or Glab. I'm like, no, you were you were my favorite. I'm like, so we chatted for a little bit and I got a selfie with him. So I so that was another favorite moment, too. So I'm I was happy for the Braves for sure. Yeah, for yeah. sure. No, yeah. those were those were those were great days. And, you know, yeah. I go back even before when they were really, really bad. <laughs> <laughs> so so finally getting another one after after 26 years was uh, was definitely a, a special. Yeah. One. And I think and I think and I would also say the other one would be just having fans back in For stadiums sure. you know, and, yeah yeah there were some neat nuances to not having fans there but you knew that wasn't going to be sustainable right uh, in and in, in, in the sports is fueled by the passion right definitely <laughs> you know yeah like one game that i went to this year i went to florida alabama in the swamp and it was packed and just i've never heard the swamp that loud um you know, and, and the fans definitely impacted that game. Unfortunately, the Gators fell short, but I was like, wow, this is cool. And this is what was missing the year before. Yeah. So no question about it. Well, as always, I thank you for being on and, and gracious enough to give up part of your dinner time, which proves you're a far better person than I am because I don't give up dinner for anybody. Uh, but uh, please, uh, you know, make some shameless plugs for your endeavors there at News 6. Oh, OK. Well, you know, you can catch me on News 6, um, you know, throughout the week at 6 at 11. Me or my coworker, Ryan Welch, who does a great job, too. Um, but we are on 6 and 11 uh, Monday through Sunday doing the sports thing. Uh, we also have a half hour sports show on Saturday nights at 1130, 1135 called after the whistle. So you can tune in for that. And, you know, we're just going to be out there working hard covering central Florida sports with um, dedication and passion that it deserves. So thank you, Jeff. I appreciate you having me on and let me talk about my stuff Absolutely. and let me talk about the bills. Yeah, of course. Uh, that, <laughs> couldn't do that with you. You know, if, you, if you're on the show, we have to do it. That's just, that's just a rule. Uh, well, uh, great. Well, happy holidays to you and yours and uh, the best in 2022. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jeff. Happy holidays to you. And now let's close things out with a TV theme. So this is not really a TV theme per se, but it is a classic musical instrumental from A Charlie Brown Christmas. It's actually titled Linus and Lucy. And of course, the Charlie Brown Christmas was the first TV special based on the comic strip Peanuts by Charles M. Schultz. This was produced by Lee Mendelson and directed by Bill Melendez. And the program made its debut on CBS, December 9th, 1965. And you know the story. Charlie Brown finds himself, finds himself depressed despite the onset of the cheerful holiday season. Lucy, who of course keeping with our sports theme, pulls the football away as Charlie Brown tries to kick, suggests he direct a neighborhood Christmas play. But his best efforts are ignored and mocked when he chooses a real but puny Christmas tree as the centerpiece. So, of course, uh, this is a uh, classic instrumental that plays during the show. And also, the song Christmas Time is Here is also very popular these days in the holiday season. Charlie Brown Christmas. And we're going to let it run out here to close out the show. And as always, we wish you and yours a happy holiday season. Mele Kalikimaka because if you're a listener of this show you are Ohana 
Thanks so much for listening. And with that, we are done here as we roll out with this classic from the Peanuts. for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88, on Facebook at Jeff Allen 88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs.